Hope you're doing well. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are here. Thank you. So glad you chose to worship with us on this day. Um, stay warm. And a way to get warm is to stand in worship if you can. We're just surrounded by a good father. That's right. In the midst of all that's happening, he's here.
sit. <laughs> Go ahead and sit. This is me from four and a half minutes ago with slightly different energy. <laughs> Hi! I'm Jason, the chili master today. Um, Happy Father's Day. It's, thank you. Thank you so much. It's clear when you've brought the best chili. That, <laughs> John and Tracy are in like an ultimate battle right now, but I was telling Mike earlier, it's kind of like when two supporting actors are nominated in the same year, neither of them wins, and the lead actor rises and accepts his trophy. Anyway, welcome to Discovery. So glad you are here with us. I am alluding to our fun Father's Day shenanigans that will be after service that we're going to talk about um, a little bit later. Um, two of my faves just walked in, so I'm just going to try to just hold it in until I can give them a hug. Um, yeah. <laughs> Love when you see people just walking in from the, from the back of the auditorium. Um, so we've got just several things going on today. I'm going to try to keep my part pretty brief because we've got a lot of stuff happening this morning, but we've got baby dedications a little bit later. My back row, a couple of my back row buddies are getting dedicated today, so excited about that. We're going to hear from Tad and Riley a little bit later um, about some sports and arts camp stuff. We're going to hear another teaching from John, a little bit more worship, and then we're going to give back to God, and then we're going to head into the cafeteria. So, yeah, I'm going to keep my part brief. And Riley, would you love to? Tad, why don't you come on up? Give a hand for Tad. How you doing? Doing great. Thank you. Perfect. All right, so as you guys know, we're doing sports and arts camp this year. Yeah. <laughs> woo, woo. Yeah. Um, and we just wanted to pull Tad in because we wanted to share that we've been intentionally pursuing Mary Lyon as a place for this in our community. Mm -hmm. And Tad has been volunteering there for quite a while. So Tad, can you let us know how you've been involved in after school programs at Mary Lyon? How long? Mm -hmm. So Weston has, he's in fourth grade now. So for the past uh, five years at least, we've been uh, volunteering there, Savannah and I. And, um, but most recently within the last couple years, uh, I started volunteering for something called Camp Hope. So that's through Hope Church just down the road from uh, the school. And through that, I've been able to tutor. Um, they have a tutoring program, so that is, it's been really cool. I was first looking for something for Weston uh, as a result, um, became a tutor, and, and that's just been so cool, an opportunity to not only help academically, but also share your faith, because, you know, it's, uh, the understanding is, you know, this is a, Christian-based tutoring program. Mm. So it's been very cool. Um, and then the next step was uh, when there was the need, um, I started coaching. So that has been uh, really cool, a way to uh, just really connect with uh, the different kids in Western School, but like ultimately the families as well. That's awesome. 
Can you tell us also a little bit about your heart for the specific neighborhood, like around Mary Lyon, and like tell us about the families you've met there? Yeah. Uh, well, so this neighborhood is is my neighborhood growing up. So it's a big deal. Uh, it's my dad's neighborhood growing up. So uh, lots of history, legacy, um, and I would say that uh, you know now where I am. The, the ultimate like goal idea moving into my home was like Lord how how do we become like your light in this place how do we how do we stand as like a beacon for you so like volunteering and doing these things gives us this opportunity to connect with um, individuals and then families and then it just grows right and so this past year I've seen God like use um, these yeses to to just grow his kingdom it's it's been wild that's awesome wow so as all the volunteers kind of plan and prepare for sports camp is there anything that you can share from your experience that we should know about what should we be expecting yeah I I would say that there's um a lot of people out there that are very receptive, like to um, having discovery come in. Um, I, I've been able to share with multiple families already. They're really on board. Um, but I would say that there are a lot of um, families out there that, uh, and children, there's a lot of brokenness. And so um, you may not see that on the surface. Uh, it, it takes intentionality and pressing in a little bit, but um, I would just say, uh, first for the kids, like this is something they really need, and it's a great first step to connect with families. Yeah, and then lastly, as most of us know, we're in a season of prayer right now for yeah. 120 days. What would you say are, like if you could distill it into just one thing, two, a few things, how can Discovery um, be praying for this um, event that we're having, Sports and Arts Camp, uh, letting kids know that they, they're made for a purpose, that they're loved by a creator, what would you say would be I would how think, we can pray? I would, I would say that at first, um, we pray like as we're participating in this, that we do it for God's purposes, that we, we align ourselves with, with his will, right? That we're doing it for him. And then um, just that, you know, we would have yeses, accepting like, hey, this is an opportunity, um, that there wouldn't be any barriers to, to them joining. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you, Tad. Thank you. Yeah. So many, we have so many amazing um, fathers in this church. Can we just make some noise for dads? But I just want to say, Tad, that... It's just very cool. His involvement and connection with Mary Lyon is, like you said, I was doing this first for Weston, but then you all of a sudden had your eyes open to all the ways God was moving, right, and at work. And um, anyway, Tad, I just think you're an amazing dad. <laughs> Being involved and doing the tutoring thing, and we're glad that we can join you in your neighborhood and uh, hopefully let shine the light, right, that God's put in each of us. Would you stand and worship with us again?
church, sing that one more time. Hey, hey. Lord, there's nothing that's better than you. Lord, there's nothing better than you. Lord, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Let's just give him a shout of praise. Of a beautiful 
day that our culture, our nation sets aside to honor fathers. For some of us in this room, this is a 
a, an incredible, joyful day. We, we remember that we sit uh, under an incredible legacy and a blessing. We are so grateful for the, the biological fathers, the stepfathers, the spiritual mentors that you have placed in our life. Today, on this day, we are, we are so grateful. We look to heaven, our perfect heavenly Father, and we say, God, thank you so much for the godly influences that you've placed in our life. For some of us, this day, Father's Day, is much more challenging. For some of us, there are conversations that we've never had and we've longed to have and we never will have. There's a wound, there's an ache because of a, a father figure did not reflect heaven and has left some marks and it's tough it's tough even to call you sometimes our heavenly father because it's just so hard some of us in this room have have longed for a long time to have the privilege of being a father figure and that journey has been just a long and difficult one just want to acknowledge, Father God, before you that in this room, there's a, there's a lot of stuff, joy and sadness, grief, regret, scars that were um, placed on our lives and scars that we have even made. And so this morning, as we remember and are grateful for those who've gone before us, we also stand here with trembling and ask that your Holy Spirit would Make its way into my calloused heart. And that you would carefully heal and reshape and reform. That we would have a clearer view and a more joyful view and a, and a healed view of you, our, as it says in the New Testament, our Abba, our Daddy, our close and heavenly Father. I pray for the men that are in this room. I, I'm grateful that they're standing here. And I pray that not only that there would be healing and restoration from past, but God, I pray for the men in this room. God, I, I pray that they would surrender their heart, their soul, their mind, their hands, their feet, their position of influence and authority to you. And I pray, Father, there would be an incredible and a greater and a more beautiful legacy left through the lives of these men in this room pray this in Jesus' name. We know that the name of Jesus holds all power and all authority over all things. And so we ask this in his name. Amen. 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 Happy Father's Day. Have a seat. We have a, uh, oh, look at that. Well, thank you, Chris. You're a kind and gentle soul. I want to, we have one of the fun things that we, we, we've been able to do some really fun things over the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, we had baptisms last week. It was just a lot of fun, and um, yeah, it was, it was just, it was a ton, a ton of fun. Um, the time was great. It was just a beautiful moment together. The, um, the water was a little weird. The Lincoln Pool is in need of some help, so I think it's getting some help right now. So, um, but we had a great, great time. It's one of the great things that church gets to do to come together and celebrate 
um, the new life that Jesus births in the life of a man or a woman, even a child. And so that was a lot of fun. And today we get to do another one of the really fun things that we do as a church. And uh, we call them child dedications. So we have a couple families here. And uh, if you're those families, come on down and make your way down here. So... Um, So they're coming. Yeah, keep clapping because they got a, they still got a little ways to walk. So there'll be this uncomfortable lull. So keep clapping again. All right. We should have had them stage closer. I know. Hi, Mandy. Good to have you here. Don't don't feel awkward about coming up and taking a picture. Don't, don't feel bad about that at all. So come on, you guys come up right in the, uh, the, the light here. How are you guys doing? Woo. Doing good? Good? So what I'd like you, yeah, stretch out just a little bit more into the light. There you go. I want everybody to, yeah, and then Elizabeth, don't get too close to the edge. But uh, hey, guys, thanks so much for being here. I'd like you to introduce your family and introduce the one that you want dedicated today. Would you mind doing that? I'm Johnson, and this is little Oliver Keith. Um, this here uh, is Mary Youngmi Kim. Uh, she turned one yesterday. <clears throat> and uh, this is Elizabeth Youngji Kim, um, who you guys know very well. <laughs> she makes her presence known. Um, and you guys know me and Carrie, so... We are. Do you want that, Oliver? You want to hold on to that? He'll eat it. He'll eat it. Okay. <laughs> well, guys, this is one of the fun things that we get to do, and I and I recognize that um, that there's some things going on inside you as you stand here on the stage. One is it's always a little nervous to stand in front of people, and it's even more nervous when your child's with you. Who knows what will happen? <laughs> to be honest, the thing we're most excited about is we hope something goes wrong. Um, <laughs> Okay, I'm just just me, but uh, uh, so we're really pumped that you're here. I think one of the one of the things that happens in the life of a family is sometimes there's just a lot of prayer and eagerness and hopefulness, and you have a lot of things that go on in your mind about what will happen when God grants us a little person, if He chooses to grant us a little person, and then all of a sudden, when you first hold that little person in your arms, something else floods inside, and uh, at least for me and many parents that I've talked to, um, a, a sense of fear floods in. Amen? And um, you're, you, you shift all of a sudden to like, oh, it's not just about making sure the nursery is ready and the house is ready, but making sure that we're providing something rich and, uh, and substantial for our children. I think it's, a, it's something that we've seen from the beginning, even the beginning of scripture, is that we have lots of pictures throughout the Bible of parents who want to dedicate their little ones. Like Hannah, we talk about Hannah nearly every time we do a child dedication, that she longed and longed for God to provide a, a child, and then um, God provides Samuel. And then you might remember that uh, when Samuel's five, she comes back and dedicates Samuel to the Lord. And now she, she actually drops him off, and so... I usually remind people that this is actually not a temple or a church. There'll be high schoolers here tomorrow, so that's up to you on what happens. But, um, but really, Hannah's heart was like, God, I recognize that this little person is not mine. They're not, you know, we use the phrase, my kids or our kids. They're not mine. They're not ours. They're not even the communities. These little men and women 
they belong to Jesus. They're his, uh, perfectly and wonderfully designed by God. There's a couple of things I want to remind you of in, um, today, just a couple of verses of scripture I think are so important to remind you on a child dedication. And then what we're going to do is we're going to have you make a commitment before the Father, and then church, we're going to have you make a commitment. So some of you, this is your first time with us, and, uh, but you're going to be in. Um, I'm going to invite you at, at the end of this to stand and make a commitment to this family because we believe that these, these families do not do this journey alone. A- amen on that? Amen. amen. All right. So I want to read a couple of verses that just stand out to me. Things have been so important in my journey. The book of Deuteronomy says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on their children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Um, now, we could, we could give a long sermon about this incredible, incredible verse, but the most important thing that I want to remind you of is that the faith that you long for your children to have is not taught, it's caught. And it's caught by the way that you first live it out. And believe it or not, your little people right now are having an encounter with the gospel every day. And they're doing it by watching you encounter pain, joy, hardship, challenges, stress, anxiety, all these things. They're watching how you navigate the world and your faith. So let me encourage you, moms and dads, keep your faith. Keep your faith as the highest priority in your life. The book of Ephesians says this, fathers do not exasperate your children, instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I I think the word exasperates more like create a hindrance. So, you know, that's my job, I think, as a dad, is to try to remove hurdles. Anybody? Like, that's what I wanna do. I wanna do that in life. Every time I see a hurdle, my job is just to do my best to either get it out of the way or help them over the hurdle. Amen? And let me encourage you to do the same thing. So before anything goes haywire and the kids are still doing great, I want to ask you guys to make a commitment before the Father, okay? And if you make this commitment, I just want you at the end to say, we do, okay? So parents, so that your children may walk in the abundant life that Jesus Christ offers, do you vow by God's help and in partnership with us, the church, to provide a Christian home of love and peace to raise your children in the truth of our Lord's instruction and discipline and to encourage them to one day trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. If so, please say we do. Excellent. Okay. Church, I said you got, a, you got a job. So if you would, would you stand up? And I... Uh, we mean this. Discovery has never been an hour and 10 minutes on Sunday mornings. This is just something we do. We are a family. And in a family, we support each other. And these families up here in front, they're going to need your prayers. They're going to need your coaching. They're going to need your tears. They're going to need your rejoicing. And... uh, I'm asking you to make a commitment. I'm going to read it to you. And if you're in church at the end, I want you to say we do. Having come freely, I ask you, church, to make the following commitment to these families who stand before you so that their children may walk in the abundant life that Jesus Christ offers. Do you vow by God's help to be faithful in your calling as members of the body of Christ, to help these parents be faithful to God and help teach their children 
to one day trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. If you accept this responsibility, please respond by saying, we do. Amen. Amen. You heard that? That's babysitters. (laughs) Did you hear that? So we should do like we pass out a card right now and just put your name and number on there. Hey, let's, let's pray for these families, okay? Jesus, we are so incredibly grateful for these little men and women up here. Um, they are amazing. They're intriguing. They bring us joy and laughter. They bring us tears. Um, our hair turns gray. My beard is very gray. But Jesus, we are so grateful for these little men and women. Um, it is our prayer that for these couples, they would grow close every day to you, Jesus. God, I pray for their marriages, that their marriages would be strong, that they would uh, have patience and forgiveness, endurance and grace in their home, and Jesus, that you would be seen by their children. God, I pray that these little ones would one day, um, having seen and experienced and tasted and touched grace and the gospel in their homes, God, I pray that one day they would trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. And I look forward to the day that we get to gather around a body of water and each one of them, by faith, declare their faith in Jesus and we get to baptize them and watch them become faithful men and women. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Will you give a round of applause to these families? Can we get one more picture? One more picture. Okay, everybody, let's, let's lean in there. Did we do it? Are we doing it? Are we doing it? Oh, yeah, that's good. Elizabeth, what do you think? Did we do it? You look at her. She's like, he drives me crazy. So Elizabeth and I have been working on a friendship for quite a while. We are not there yet, but we are, we're getting closer, Right? That's what I'm... Oh my gosh, I, I got $5 right here. Oh, have a seat. Thank you guys so much. Isn't that fun? Oh, we got some of the most amazing kids in this church. Amen? Well, that was not as strong an amen as I was looking for, but some of you are tired. There's some tired parents in here, so amen. 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 Over the years, it's... <sighs> well, good morning, and, and uh, we've already done a lot this morning, but we, we are going to dive in to uh, Luke chapter 8. If you have a Bible, find Luke chapter 8 for me real quick. We are walking through the gospel of Luke together, and today we are in Luke chapter 8, and we're at verse 26. And I'm just going to... I'm going to just be real honest with you and start with an apology. Um, You're told like in communication class never to start with an apology, okay? But this one, this is not your traditional Father's Day message, okay? I'm just prepping you. If you're familiar with the Gospel of Luke and maybe you even look down at verse 26, you're like, ooh, we're going, okay. So there there is a man at the center of the story. He is naked and crazy, okay? And the other thing, dads, I'm just a real bummer here is a whole lot of bacon's going to be wasted. So this is like, this, this, some of you know where we're going. All right. This is not your traditional, you know, a good Father's Day message always begins and ends with good bacon. Don't you think, Jason? Amen. 
Oh, sure. He says, okay. Hey, so read along with me. Let's dive right in. Verse 26. It says, they sailed to the region. Who's they, by the way? Anybody? Jesus and, and his disciples. Okay, so uh, some of you here last week, you kind of know where, where we are. So they sailed to the region of the Gerizines, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied. Because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Well, there was a large herd of pigs. Yeah, there's the bacon part, okay? A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out. He was sitting at Jesus' feet. He was dressed and in his right mind. And they, the townspeople, were afraid. Those who had seen it, they told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Verse 37 says, then all the people, all the people of the region of the Gerizines asked Jesus, you guys see it there? Jesus to leave. All the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got out of the boat and he left. Verse 38. And the man from the demons had gone out and begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away and said, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all the town how much Jesus had done for him. Our series is called Gravity. And we're not talking about that physical force that keeps our feet on the ground or makes things sag as we get older. We are talking about the heavy parts of life. And particularly in this section in the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus step into some very real, some very rich, very painful, really, really heavy things. And we don't really, we don't really get to see as this... Um, as simply an uninterested audience or a humored audience. As we are walking through the Gospel of Luke here, in particularly Luke chapter 8, we're immediately drawn into circumstances that are our daily life. So we get to see Jesus not just like, man, that's neat that he did that, but also it's like, wow, this is how Jesus interacts in some of the most painful parts of my life. Now, I know even as I say that, that may be a little bit strange because you're thinking, it's been a long time since I've seen a bunch of pigs rush down a hill, and uh, I don't know that I've ever been naked and in front of everybody. And so one of the things when it comes to reading Luke chapter 8 in 2023, we have been trained. As modern Americans, we've been trained in the West to view these kind of encounters with great suspicion. 
So a lot of us, when we read Luke chapter 8, we want to check out a little bit. and like, ah, that's really, that's not me. That's for a different time. That's for a more mythological people. That's from a, a simpler day with simpler problems and simpler answers. And we have a hard time kind of really interacting with this passage. Yet, I want to challenge you to look a little closer. That if you look a little closer, I think that you'll see that this This reflects not only our culture, but a lot of us, our own very lives. You see, at the center of this encounter is a a man, an individual that is tormented by something inside that he cannot fully understand, grasp, explain. It's out of control in his life. It's not only just a man struggling with this. There's a, there's a, a circle around him, a community of people that have been trying their best To help somebody that they love and care about, they ache inside for this person. You see, it's not just an individual and a man. This is a, this is a son. This man has a mama, has a family, has a circle, has a community. This is possibly a brother, an uncle, a neighbor, maybe even a dad. And here we have a community that has been trying to navigate this internal torment that this individual's had using tools, the only tools that they had, and it's not working. In fact, for the man, these tools have felt like uh, chains and bondage. It's just, have you ever felt like someone helps, but it only hurts instead? Anybody? Ever felt like the people around you, they... With all their might, they're trying to help, but they're just making it harder. That's what's going on here. They're trying to help, and they've, they've kind of, they've come down to the last tools in the toolbox, and they just try to, they bind him up, they put guards around him, and still he breaks it. Like, the best that they have to offer is not good enough. The more that this persists, the more this man feels separate, uh, like a normal everyday word would be he feels weird, he feels unaccepted, he feels like he doesn't fit in, he doesn't belong, and at first it's an internal feeling, and then it becomes a physical action. He begins to separate himself from people. They don't understand me, I don't understand them. They have no patience with me, I have no patience with them. And he begins to push people further and further and further away. Luke tells us that he's pushed people so far away, he has now gotten rid of clothes, he is now trying to break all of the cultural norms and mores, and now he's even chosen to live with the dead people. He has pushed community as far away as possible. So far away that now in his darkness, in his discouragement, in his depression, in his isolation, he's left morning, day, and night hurting himself. We call it self-harm today. I don't know about you, but as I look into the story, all of a sudden it seems incredibly relevant. Yes, it's 2023, and we have nearly every app we can possibly imagine on our phone. We have technology and information. We are the most educated people on the planet. We have access to medicine and facilities, yet these sort of things are a growing problem in our cities, neighborhoods, schools, 
families. As I read through this story, the question for me is this, is what do you do when you don't know what to do? You know what I'm talking about? What do you do when you have somebody in your circle? Somebody in your life, someone in your neighborhood, and their problems are bigger than anything that you can solve on your own. All of your tools no longer work. That's kind of what I want us to think about today. You have a picture of somebody? Don't speak their name. But you have a picture of somebody? Do you have a, do you have a name? This morning, we're going to look at how Jesus walks through this. Now, before we go any further, here's one thing I don't want to do. We should not diminish the spiritual realm and the spiritual battle that is very real on this page. So as I talk about this, I think it's very, very important for us not to do that. A, it's not, it's not biblically accurate. And B, I think it's deeply dangerous. There is a deep and spiritual battle that Jesus does not ignore, okay? So can we all, let's not get so practical in our 2023 mind that we're like, oh, okay, we can scooch by this elephant in the room. Let's just acknowledge that Jesus acknowledges the very real spiritual battle. However, he also doesn't give it more authority than it really has. You you tracking here with me? Um, So let me give you an example here in this story. In the first century Jewish, for the first century Jewish mind, a first century Jewish person lived with this myth about the spiritual realm that if you could name something and you could accurately name it, you would have power over it. Okay? So if you could accurately name it specifically, you would then have power over it. This is kind of one of the reasons why the Jewish people did not have an audible name for God. Like you and I, some, some of you have heard the name Yahweh. A Jewish person wouldn't have said Yahweh. These are just consonants that are unpronounceable. This was just a placeholder. We don't know the name of God. We won't pronounce the name of God. We could never have power over God. Are you tracking here with me? So in the Jewish mind, they would say, listen, if you can name it, you can have power over it. This is why this man races up to Jesus, and as he races up to Jesus, he says, Jesus, the Son of the Most High, please don't torment. The the demons are trying to make this a, a public spectacle theatric um, drama between the spiritual forces here and here. They want to have this clash, and they're trying to have power over Jesus. And then you watch what Jesus says. Jesus looks right at the man, and then he says, did you guys catch it? What's your your name? We're going to come back to this in a few minutes, but he says, what's your name? And the demons interrupt, and they say, 6,000 strong, mean, killing machine. We're a legion, right? So don't mess with us. And then you did you watch it? Look down at your Bible. Watch what Jesus does. Nothing. He's like, no, I'm not going there. If I was if I was writing this for Luke, I would have just written this. Luke, Jesus says, Nah, <laughs> not going to play this game with you, right? So what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is making sure that we put the spiritual battle, the spiritual forces, the spiritual forces in their right place. Now, before we go any further, I think it's important for us to say this. We're on the other side of the cross. The book of, the, the book of Colossians tells us that what Jesus did on the cross defeated the forces of evil forever. Um, The New Testament tells us that because of what Jesus did on the cross and what he did on the third day, when a man or woman invites Jesus into their life, he actually 
takes resonance in your soul. And the New Testament tells us that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So I just want to say something really uh, clear before we move on. If you said yes to Jesus, Jesus lives inside of you and you can never, some of you need to write this down, you can never be possessed by a, a demon, right? That there is, Jesus is putting in place, there's a, evil can do bad stuff in the world, wreak incredible havoc. But if you're a Jesus follower, it has no place in your soul and life. Does that make sense? It's important to hold on to that. I hear too many Christians talk about, I might be possessed. My child might be possessed. No, your child's three. See? But they're not possessed. Amen? Okay. Let's, let's move on. And, and I don't want us to discount the power of evil. Listen, it's really important. Again, I want to... I told my wife earlier this week, I said, I'm in a mess with this chapter because we should have a Bible study for about four hours on this. This is so rich. But I, I want us to see something. Even the spiritual forces of this dark world, I want us to be really clear, they're not interested in doing evil tricks. A lot of times when we come to like evil demonic forces, we're looking for like tricks and like weird stuff, you know, black clouds that come down, you know, the dementors, right? We're looking for the, the evil is evil is more evil than that. And you can look right through this passage and you can see what evil is trying to do. It's trying to isolate. Evil wants to isolate. And we've talked about this so much in the last few years, this polarization. That's the evil one. He's wanting to isolate people. When, when you're struggling and you're going through something and you think, I don't want people around me. I don't want to show up to church. I want you to know that is not the work of God. That's the work of the evil one wanting to isolate. Evil one wants to threaten community. I think the evil one is one of the things he's been having so much fun in the church in the last few years is destroying and creating divisiveness in the church. The evil one is doing that today. He's alive and well. The evil one wants to create self-harm. He wants people to harm themselves, okay? And, and most importantly, you can see it right here. The evil one and the evil powers are really interested in religious activity, but not submission to Jesus, the Savior and Lord. The demons, they could identify Jesus. They are comfortable naming Jesus. You are the Son of God, Son of the Most High. But they were not submitting to Jesus as Lord. The evil one is really satisfied with you playing spiritual games. Showing up at church, walking through the motions, as long as that keeps you distant from the gospel distant from the work of Jesus, distant from grace. He is quite happy to not do any evil tricks. Does that make sense? Okay. I want to shift gears. Because Jesus didn't give a whole lot of glory and attention to the evil spirits here. The center of this story is not the evil, it's not even the problem, it's Jesus himself. And I want us to look today, like, what did Jesus do how did Jesus navigate this space? Because maybe you have somebody or several somebodies in your life that you feel that you're like, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm going to share with you four things that really strike me, and I'm going to go quickly here. But I really want to encourage you to write these down, and later you can go back through this, and I think that you'll see them as well. Here's the first thing that Jesus does when we don't know what to do. Number one, he welcomes the interruption. He welcomes the interruption. 
I'm going to take you to the end of the story, verse 37. This is after um, Jesus has had the encounter with the man, and after the man is, um, well, he's got clothes on, and in his, in his right mind, he's been healed, and he's restored. And in verse 37, the, all the people from the region have showed up, and they've heard about this miracle. Verse 37, all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to, what was, what was the two words there? Leave them. Luke says, because they were overcome with fear. Fear of what? Fear of the interruption. Because even though this had been a mess, they have come up with a way to navigate the mess. We were quite okay with this guy living in the tombs. He was away from us. He wasn't bothering us. And P.S., you just cost us all our pigs and bacon. They were upset because their system has been interrupted. But Luke tells us a lot more in this, in this verse. Let me read the last. It's a very short sentence, but it's packed full of meaning. Verse 37, it says, so he got in the boat and left. Now, this is significant because it's not just Luke acknowledging that Jesus yielded to their requests. Luke is identifying something here really, really important. I'm going to take you back in time one week ago. The verse is just leading up to this. You guys remember, some of you were here last week. Last week, we talked about this, uh, this trip that Jesus asked his disciples to go on. And uh, you guys remember this? Uh, they, Jesus said, hey, let's get in this boat, and we're going to go across the Sea of Galilee. And they get in the boat, and what happens in the middle of their trip? A storm. And not just any storm, the worst storm they have ever experienced. These are seasoned sailors and fishermen. They've never been in something quite like this. this they are all sure they're going to die. You guys remember this? They're sopping wet, the wind, the waves, they're capsizing, they're frustrated, and what is Jesus doing? Okay, he's sleeping, some of you guys remember, he's sleeping in the boat, and they wake him up, and they wake him up, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? Okay, so I want to take you right back to that moment, and if you were here last week, I shared with you, I have a problem with that story. My problem is the question, anybody remember? Why? Why would Jesus... Have these guys get in the boat at that moment and at that time? Why would he either lead them in the storm or allow them to have the chance of being in the middle of the storm? Either way, Jesus allowed this thing to happen. Why? Now, as we walked through it, we, we saw that there's some really powerful things that can happen in storms. And they, got, they watched Jesus stand up, and he spoke to the wind and the waves, and it all stopped. And they were like, who is this? And they had this breakthrough. And that's cool. We talked about how awesome that is. Now, I want you to stay there with me. They've had this awesome moment in the boat. They're still wet. They begin rowing. An hour, two, maybe three hours later, they make it to the shore. They're still wet. Some of them were seasoned sailors and fishermen. Some of them were, like Matthew, spent their whole life in an office. I imagine I would be Matthew. Simon pops out. John and James pop out. Whew, me, I crawl out. I'm wet. I'm cold. I fall on the shore. Anybody with me? I fall on the shore, and I begin kissing the sand. Thank you that we made it. There are no more storms. I, while they kept walking, I would just hug the earth. Anybody? 
grabbing sand, maybe putting it in my pockets, and like, I am not going on a boat ever again in my life. I'm holding on to dirt. While all this is happening, and I'm sorting through all this, I look over there, and a naked man has run up to Jesus. I begin to see some commotion. I'm like, I, I don't know, do I want to go there? And while the commotion is going on, eventually the guy sits down, and I think, okay, I'll go up, and I'm part of it, and maybe I give him one of my cloaks, and we feed him, and a little bit later, the, the people come, and they begin arguing with Jesus, and Jesus says, fine, we'll leave. And I said, I think, where are we going to go? And I begin to watch Jesus walk back that way to the same boat. Watch this crossing the same body of water. They were on the east side. We're going to go back to the west side, which means we're going to go through the same storm potentially, right? You you can imagine me. um, Again, I'm just assuming that we don't know, but if I'm Matthew, I'm the last guy to get on the boat. And while I'm getting the boat, I'm a little bit irritated about the whole thing, but one thing would be jumping in my mind. Seriously? We did all of this for a naked guy? And the answer is yes. That when a community, a community says we want no more interruptions, Jesus says, bring them on. And you watch this all through the pattern of Jesus' life and ministry. You guys remember the moment with the little kids? Sometimes we use that during um, child dedications. But you remember the little kids? Some of you probably remember the King James translation. What does Jesus say? Yeah, Bobby said, suffer the little children to me. I love interruptions. I love them. And Jesus wants you and I to love them too. He wants us to walk slower with people who walk slower. He wants us to stay longer with people who need more explanations. He wants us to stop our plans so we can hurt and ache, laugh. Our pace of life does not have to be dictated by our calendar, artificially set up by the expectations of human beings around us. Instead, walk in the Spirit and patiently walk with incredible interruptions. And this is going to bring us to the second one because I kind of don't like talking about people as interruptions. And this brings us to the second point. Jesus didn't see them as interruptions. He saw the person beyond the problem. And I'll say it again. He saw the person beyond the problem. And my proof of this is uh, we talked about it a few minutes ago, I think a couple times now. Verse 30. Luke records it this way. Jesus asked him, what is your name? This is really important. I'm going to do it again. Jesus asked. Look, it's underlined here. Jesus asked who? Him. Okay, so friends, let's be really clear. The man, the naked man, runs up to Jesus. He says, Jesus, son of the most high, why do you torment me? At that very moment, Jesus is very, very well aware of the big problem. Are you guys with me on this? Jesus already knows that the man is struggling with some serious demon possession and multiple other issues. Are you tracking with me? Jesus is the son of God. He knows what's going on. He recognizes that there's an actual systemic problem in this community. 
This is, there's a big mess going on here. But in the middle of all this, Jesus doesn't talk to the demons. He doesn't talk to the community. He doesn't wax eloquently about the communal problems in our land. He looks directly at the man and he says, tell me your name. You're a human being, the Imago Dei. Genesis 1.27 says we've been created in the image of God. For 2,000 years, the church has been saying this. You, me, every living man, woman, and child is the Imago Dei. We're the image bearers of God. We have incredible value. Amen? Jesus didn't see just the problem. He saw a human being. One of the things that's transformed my life is this whole notion, and I've been trying to practice over these last few years, this idea of talking to people as people. You know, as we've been in our culture, in our world, we just see so many more people and problems on our streets, amen? And a lot of us get really weirded out and scared, and we want to blast through the stoplight as fast as we possibly can, and when someone asks us for help, we just put our head down, we want to walk away. It's nerve-wracking, Okay? I've tried to make a commitment to the Father that every time I have an interaction with somebody, I'm, I'm going to introduce myself and I'm going to ask their name. They're the Imago Dei. They're not an interruption. They're the image bearer of God. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of meeting a friend on the street and all those same emotions race as I thought, what does he want? What does he want? Do I have it? And I try to keep things now. I try to have something so I can, I can make their day a little bit better and give an open opportunity to share the gospel. I look for that. I try to have something. I was like patting myself like, okay, what am I going to do? How is this going to turn out? And the first couple of minutes, I just said, hey, my name's John. What's your name? And he shared with me his street name. And uh, I won't tell you his street name, but he shared with me his street name. And then I just said, hey, what's going on? And we began talking there on the street. We began sharing this, the pain that he's been going through. And in the course of all of it, he said, I don't know that I want to keep on living. I don't see any reason to keep on living. I said, friend, you know, I don't have a lot, but I, I want you to know that I believe something different. I'm a praying man. I'm a pastor, and I'll pray. And before I even get all that out, he interrupts me and he says, hey, my real name is Seth. And I, I said, Seth, you know what your name means? And before I could even get anything out, he says, it means gift of God. Now, I don't think exactly means that, because Jonathan means gift of God, and I didn't want to fight on the street. <laughs> right? Jason, fair enough. But close enough. And I said, exactly, you're a gift from God. And you could watch, even as just these, we're, we became two Imago days, just in interacting on the street. And you watch, like, a little bit of hope returned to his eyes. We went over to my truck, and I, I gave him some things that I had to make his day a little bit better. And I said, hey, can I pray for you? And I prayed there, and I said, when we see each other on the street, I said, we live in basically the same neighborhood. Would it be okay if we said hi? He said, yeah. He said, but just use my street name. I don't want anybody else to know about the Seth thing. 
God wants you and I to look across the table, the living room, the classroom, the neighborhood, our city. And he wants us to see the person. Number three, again, I want to quickly hear is that uh, the third thing that just strikes me about Jesus and this whole interaction is Jesus addresses the whole person. And uh, we've spent some time talking about the real spiritual battle, and Jesus engages with it. And I, let's, let's be clear, this man needs the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, more than he needs anything else. Amen? Well, there's just a slight amen. Anybody? Amen. amen. He, he needs, the, the primary need in this man's life is the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. That's what is going to free this man. This is true. Amen? Absolutely, amen. But it is not the only need that Jesus and his community meets. Let's look at this, verse 35. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. You know what is so scary to this community that's, that's struggling with this interruption? What is so scary is when the church meets the needs of the whole person. Do you see that? The witness of this entire community of the power of Jesus is that there's a man here who's not only in his right mind, but he's got clothes on. And not only has he got clothes on, for the first time in many, many, many years, he's sitting in a circle. He's having normal conversations. He feels a part of a family, and it blows their mind. You guys know this, Luke chapter 10. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself it's not just the spiritual realm we're fighting for it's not just the soul it's also the, the heart and the mind and the body and I, I love this this kind of blends into the next and the last point but this man has spent who knows how many years of his life running so far away from community that this interaction with Jesus, the gospel, and Jesus' community, that they invite him into the circle, that now he's like, I want to spend the rest of my life in this new family. What an incredible change. Some of you long for this change to happen in your adult children. Amen? Amen? Some of you, you've been just aching because your, your child has been running so far away from the community of faith. What do they need? They need the gospel, but they also need love to the whole person. Amen? Amen? To the whole person. And I gotta keep going here because just because of time, but let me go to the last one, number four. The last thing that Jesus does here in the story, which I found so amazing to me, is that he keeps on hoping. I really want you to write that down. He keeps on hoping. And... Uh, I want you to see the hope. So the man is clothed. He's in his right mind. The people come up and they're like, uh-uh, we can't have any of this. <laughs> right? And they ask Jesus to leave, and Jesus in verse 37 agrees to leave. And then verse 38 says, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, and he said... Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away 
and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Here's what I hope that you see in this story. Jesus had just been insulted. A grave injustice has just taken place. Are we there? Are we there? A man who's been struggling his entire life with demon possession and all sorts of other things. He's, he's been a mess. The community has been in a mess. It's a painful, awful place. Jesus comes in. He immediately brings healing. The community says, no, we don't want any of that. And P.S. Jesus, not only do we want any of the stuff you have, we don't want you Go, leave. We don't want you, Jesus, here anymore. Now, I'll be real honest. This is the very moment where I think Jesus, Jesus should say, hey, angels from heaven, come down and make this a dirty spot in the ground. Burn this place to the ground. How could you be so callous to the needs of people in your own community? Furthermore, how could you encounter the one and only Son of God and demand that he leaves? May this land be like Sodom and Gomorrah. That's how Jesus should have responded, in my view. <laughs> but he did it. Thank you, Alicia. You know what he did instead? He said to a recently healed man, I can't go over there, not in uh, my own shoes, but you can go. Because not only, you are the, not only are you the Imago Dei, but all of those people in the community are the Imago Dei. And I still have hope that maybe if you invest your life in that community, if you take the risks, if you, if you do the hard thing day in and day out, that there would be one, two, three people in this community who would, who would turn. Jesus keeps on hoping in the most hopeless, difficult, awful moment after being insulted and turned away. And I think about so many of us who've invested and given given and given. You have given over and over again. You've been selfless and sacrificial and that has been turned away over and over and over again. And what does Jesus call for you and I to do? Seven times 70, man. I keep hoping. That God would do something that I can't do. I can't change the heart of my child. I can't, I can't fix my spouse. I can't change my uncle or my dad. I can't fix this problem in our city, in my school. But I'm going to keep hoping that Jesus, you would use someone like me. Now, I recognize when we talk about these things, some of us have some circumstances that are painful, difficult, maybe even dangerous. And this isn't asking you to step back into a, a, a situation that's physically dangerous for you. So be, be wise. But keep hoping. 
I wish we had another hour or two together. There's a lot here. Um, I hope that this morning God has spoken to you. And I hope that God uses you and uses me and uses this church in a community that I think is deeply hurting. Would you agree? There are things in our community that are beyond our ability, but not beyond God's. Amen? Amen? Let's bring those to the Father. We've, we've said that we're in a season of prayer, and I'm, I'm well aware that I've talked more than prayed, and I want to invite you for a moment to pray with me. One of the things that we're going to do, we're going to have a couple people up here um, on, on the side of the auditorium, and they're going to be here through the prayer time, through the song to follow. If you'd like to pray with somebody one-on-one, there's going to be somebody here on my left and on my right. But we're also, before we sing, before we have our offering time, we're going to just have a few moments of prayer. So here's what I'd encourage you to do. Believe that God lined this day up for you to be here for this message. Now respond to it. Okay? So whatever you need to do, however you need to respond, whatever the Spirit's been churning inside your heart and your mind, let's come before the Father in prayer with that, okay? And you don't need to say it the perfect way. You don't need that religious jargon or language. You need to be just honest and respond to what God's doing. I'm going to leave that up to you. Sarah's going to play the piano for a few moments, and I'm going to encourage you to pray. If you need somebody to pray with, again, just move to the right or left of the auditorium, and there'll be somebody there with you. Father, what must not be lost this morning as we read from Luke 8 is when a community didn't know what to do. There was absolutely one thing that the community needed, that a family needed, that an individual needed. And that need was to encounter you, Jesus, face to face. our community, our families, our circles. And we just individually, we need you. This morning we are acknowledging, Jesus, that there is no other name that's been given among us by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. There's no name greater or higher but the name of Jesus. Jesus, you were the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. You're the beginning. You're the end. You are everything, Jesus. And unless a man or a woman is surrendered to you, nothing is right in their life. Our community needs you, Jesus. 
our community is wrestling and aching with multiple, multiple big problems. And at the center of those problems are the Imago Dei human beings, real men and women that you love. Jesus, we, we ask that not only would they over there somehow encounter you, but as the once naked man, now clothed and in his right mind, which we all are in this auditorium, may you send us where your feet cannot go. May we be your hands and your feet. I pray that not only for the unnamed person, but we pray that this morning for some names. Some of us in this room, when we were reading this this morning, we thought of our son, we thought of our father, we thought of our neighbor, we thought of that child in the classroom, we thought of that coworker, we thought about that client, that family that we work with. We, we thought of these overwhelming problems. This morning, Jesus, we want to just give them to you and say, Jesus, they need you. And if you could use us in any way, use us. Our city, our day, our hour needs you, Jesus. I'm looking forward to the day where our Sundays require less preaching and more stories of once naked men now sitting in their right mind having found home and family excited to be deployed in the world God I look forward to that in this church we're praying for revival and awakening in our city may it happen because you choose to work through some naked people like us in Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Keep hoping, friends. Okay? Keep hoping. Until there's no more breath, just keep hoping with me. Amen? Would you do that? When, when, when you're at the stoplight, keep hoping. When you're in your classroom, keep hoping. When, when you're dealing with a client or a family that just stretch you to its the breaking point, just keep hoping with me. Amen? Amen. What we're going to do right now is uh, we're going to be passing some baskets from my right to my left. We want to encourage you to put your connection cards in there. Let that be your offering. What we say every week is if you're not, if this isn't home, if this isn't your church home yet, don't put a dollar in there. When this becomes your church home, then become generous like we all strive here to be generous because we want to be God's hands and feet in this city. Um, so, let the baskets go by. Um, drop that connection card in. The team's going to ask you to stand and sing. And then at the end of the song, Jason's going to come up. He's got a, just a couple of brief things. And uh, then we're going to eat some chili and uh, pray. All right. Let's do this. you're ready to stand and worship, we're going to start.
morning stars they wept The morning sun was dead The Savior of the world was falling His body on the cross His blood poured out for us The weight of every curse
called us to live that way. God, I pray that you would help us as we leave this place of worship to remember that we are brothers and sisters, heirs to a king who has overcome. It just changes everything. Thank you for this time in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.